Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Okay, that was good. Okay. How's everybody doing? Everybody doing good? All right. All right. All right. I can't have my eyes closed. Usually when I'm singing, I have my eyes closed. I got some teaching to do. I just want to start off by uh, thanking Brother May and the leadership for this opportunity. They don't know it, but I've been waiting for this for a while. Um, well, I actually told Brother birth May a couple weeks ago. But, um, just to start off a little about myself, uh, most of y'all have known me almost my whole life. Um, but before I came to Locust Grove, well, my whole family moved down to Locust Grove from the ages of zero to six. Um, we were moving all over the place because of my dad with his job. We've, I was born in New Jersey. Let me just start there. Moved down to Georgia, then over to Texas, then back to Georgia, so I was born. Up to North Carolina, Keely was born, then back to Georgia, Lonnie was born. And then we, uh, my dad was like, we can't keep doing this, so he took a job as a teacher, and we ended up moving right next to y'all's truly uh, Barry May over there, but I call him Papa May. Um, and during this time, we were attending a Baptist Church, Green Forest Baptist Church. Um, and even as a kid, around five, four or five years old, I would notice certain things that were just weird, like they were just off. Um, you never, you don't really understand why though. So, like during communion, they would have communion certain times, um, on certain Sundays, and it would never be every Sunday. And I would be kind of disappointed because as a kid, you know, Baptist church, they don't really care. You just want the, the crackers and the juice. That's all, that's all you wanted. But then those Sundays came around, you're looking behind the pew, and all you see is the collection uh, trays coming around. And you're wondering, why do they always bring the collection plates, but they never bring, they only bring the communion every once in a while. It was just one of those things that I just kind of, it stuck with me as a kid. I was like, this is, this is weird. It doesn't really make any sense. And then another thing, when... I remember wanting to be baptized so bad because Atali got baptized uh, before me. My older brother, for y'all who don't know, he's in the military. My older brother, and he was around five, six years old. And I went up to my Sunday school teacher and I was like, hey, I want to be baptized. He was like, oh, really? Oh, you want to be baptized? Okay. Yeah, we were baptizing everybody in about three weeks. I was like, what? <laughs> you mean I got to wait three weeks to be baptized? Okay. That was the longest three weeks of my life. I was so upset. But it was another, that was just another thing that just stuck with me. That was just strange. Even as a kid, you just realize this, this doesn't really make any sense. Why do I have to wait if I want to be baptized now? Why can't I be baptized now? I was five years old. But it just never really made any sense. But um, just fast forward a little while. I know my dad, well, Brother Mabel was always trying to get my dad to come to the church. And... I know they were having discussions, and um, the sinner's prayer came up in, the, in discussion. And Brother May, I don't know if you remember this, but you told my dad, if you could find the sinner's prayer in the Bible, I'll leave you alone. My dad read the Bible cover to cover. <laughs> Literally, covered Genesis to Revelations, did find it. That next Sunday, after he got reading it, we were in church at Locust Grove, at the hotel. And uh, that was probably like a year in. A few, a few months into when y'all started at the hotel, or we started at the hotel, 
And then a couple months later, we were all baptized as a family. Amen. But um, then fast forward to about a year ago, or no, 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 this is actually, I think it was either this year, I can't remember, when my whole family decided to, well, most of my family decided to up and leave the church. Last year. Thanks, been that long. So they up and left the church. I don't really want to get into why. It doesn't really matter. But um, I just want to say why I stayed. I stayed because I know I'm in the right place. I know that everything I've been through and gotten out of was by the grace of God and by the way I've lived my life in the church from uh, getting a last-minute full-ride track scholarship up to New Jersey to a couple years later being a car accident where the whole car was totaled except for the driver's side. Just little things like that to, to meeting my wife. It was, it was just perfectly aligned only because of the grace of God. So I know that he has orchestrated my life so perfectly that there is no way that I could possibly turn my back on him. I stay because, without a shadow of a doubt, I know that I'm in the right place. Amen. Amen. Okay, so to my lesson, um, we've heard with other lessons uh, with the brothers who have presented the one church, um, and they've gone to the scriptures, and we, we know that there's one church that was established, but I want to touch on the topic of why did Jesus establish one church? Okay. Right. We know that Jesus established his church once Peter, Peter gave his confession, um, stating that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God, Matthew 16, 16, and 18. But why did he only establish one church? Why didn't he establish more? Wouldn't God want to make it easy for everyone who showed some sort of effort to worship him get into heaven? The answer is a very sincere no. Could someone get for me Matthew uh, 7 and 14, please? Matthew 7 and 14. And this verse right here, I'm going to uh, dissect. This is going to be our main verse of the evening. Matthew 7 and 14. And you have it. Uh, somebody read it for me. Because straight the gate, and narrow is the way, which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Thank you. Now, there are many components in this one verse, and I'm going to touch on four of them. Um, the first is straightness. If something is straight, that means it moves in one direction all the way through. No matter which direction it's pointing, it could be pointing straight up, in front of you, back, side, left, right, doesn't matter. If it's straight, it's going in that one direction just, it's fixated on that one direction. There's no either or. Um, it's always pointing in that one path. The second is the gate. Now, a gate is a doorway. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a gate is usually locked if no one is authorized to come through it. Right. We can see that in the previous verse, there is a gate mentioned but it's different. Somebody read Matthew 7 and 13. Matthew 7 and 13, one verse before. Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Now, wide is the gate that leadeth to destruction. Mm -hmm. 
Why is this? Why is wide the gate that leads to destruction? If something is wide, that means what? A lot of things can fit inside of it, right? It's welcome to anyone. So why would there need to be a smaller gate guarding a place that anyone is welcome to? The third component is the fact that the straight gate is at the end of a narrow path. Now, do we really understand what narrow is? The definition states that narrow is something that is limited in extent, amount, or scope. Restricted. It is restricted. When something is restricted, what does that mean? Anyone want to take a crack at that? What is restricted? What does restricted mean? By rules, by permission, exactly. When something is restricted, it means that it's only accessible to those who gain access or who already have access. This simply means that there is no wavering on this path. You can't lean to the left or to the right. In order to gain access to this narrow straight gate, you will have to stay on the narrow straight path, which provided by the master himself, Jesus Christ. He gave the example in the way that we are to live, and he did not waver. So we know that he left the perfect example. We also know that we are not perfect because we are not Jesus, but if we fall off the path, we know it immediately. There is no mistaking the fact that it happened. But we know how to fix our error. All we have to do is look in the scriptures and read it for ourselves. Now our final component to this verse is few. This is the part um, that people outside of the church can't seem to understand or comprehend. They do not want to believe that our God is a God who will stop good people at the gates and not let them in, but not only not let them in, but will send them to hell. People don't want to believe that. They choose to believe that anyone with a good heart will gain access to the kingdom of heaven, which goes completely against the will of God. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Somebody read um, John 14, 1 through 6 for me, please. John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And no man comes unto the Father, who is in heaven but by him. So if he is in his church, and you are rejecting the one true church that he built, how are you going to get to heaven? In order to get to heaven, you have to stay on the narrow path of yielding not to temptation, loving each other like Christ loved us, being fishers of men, 
trusting and having faith in God the Father, living for Him and only Him. And in this, and that is the only way. But first, you have to be in His church, which is His team, if you will. I like to use real life examples in order to prove a point when I'm talking to my friends, colleagues, or whoever I'm talking to about the Church of Christ so they can better understand well where I'm coming from. So I drew up this illustration. Say you want to try out for a basketball team, and you have a year of practice for this tryout. A friend you have on the basketball team, he's already on the basketball team, he draws up a pl all the plays so that you can study them. Every single play that you need to know is in that book. You now have all of the knowledge you need to succeed and make the basketball team. You know you have a year of practice, and now you have the playbook with all the plays. So you should be ahead of the game. But instead of taking this playbook and practicing the plays over and over again until you can do them in your sleep, you make up your own plays and practice those instead. Then instead of practicing with a basketball, you use a soccer ball. Now it comes time for tryouts and you all, and you, and you are all out of whack completely, but you really thought you were doing something great, but in actuality you were destroying your chances. You don't make the team, your friend is disappointed in you, and the coach had no mercy in telling you, no, get out of my gym, you did not make the cut. Now people understand that, and it makes perfect sense why he did not make the team. It makes perfect sense. You're like, of course he wouldn't make the team. He practiced with a soccer ball. Why didn't he, what was he doing? Now, but instead, make that team heaven. The playbook was the Bible. Practice was the walk as a Christian in the one true church. His friend was Jesus, and the coach was God. People can't seem to understand why this person wouldn't make it into heaven, but it's the exact same example and situation. I can only imagine his friend looking at him during the tryouts, very confused and non-understanding as to why he didn't just simply use the playbook. It was right in front of him, but he neglected the power it held much like others in the world who believe that there is no, there is not one church. They believe they will continue to worship God in vain and go through the motions. And once the day of judgment comes, God will let them know to get out of my gym. You did not make the cut. People change the Bible or the playbook, if you will, to fit the way they would like to worship, but it's all in vain. Jesus set specific guidelines, and these guidelines are found inside and only inside the one body and one faith. Uh, somebody read for me Ephesians 4, 4 through 5. Ephesians 4, 4 and 5 for me. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your call. One Lord, one faith. One baptism. There is one body, one faith. That body is the one church. And once you are added to the church through baptism, you can play the game correctly. All of the other religious institutions are playing the game with a revised version of the playbook. 
which is destroying their chances of ever seeing the kingdom of God. Now, why did Jesus establish one church? Jesus established one church so that there would be no confusion or division. John 11 and 52. Somebody read John 11 52 for me, please. John 11 and 52. Read it loud. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one children of God that were scattered abroad. Yes, we were scattered abroad. The children of God were scattered abroad. So what, what was the purpose of the church? It was to gather all of the children of God in this one group. Because we were, we were scattered. We were, we were all over the place. More than likely, we were all over the place. Take it into an animal example. If a lion sees a bunch of gazelles, just scattered all over the place. They're randomly, not even in a tight, not close anywhere. They're scattered. You can pick out any single one of those gazelles and just, just take them out. Right. But as soon as they're in a group, now the lion has to sit back and kind of strategize. What, what can I do? That's exactly how God saw us. What my people are, they're victim. They can fall victim to anything. So he put us in the church so that we are strong together. Strong in numbers. And Jesus established one church so that there would be no confusion or division. When it came to his will and how he wanted us to live, worship him, and be saved. But sadly, this was not going to stop man from corrupting the word of God. Matthew 24, 11 through 13. Matthew 24, 11 and 13. Somebody read that for me, please. Matthew 24, 11 and 13. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. A false prophet. We, we hear about false prophets everywhere in the Bible. A false prophet is anyone that goes against what the Word of God says. If they teach you something other than what is in the Bible, you should consider them a false prophet. Amen. Now, these are the liars who spin the web that people of the world get caught in. They tell you that you can be saved through prayer, uh, worshiping God in any Christian belief, by sprinkling baptism, etc. They brainwash people into thinking that there are so many ways to make it into heaven without being in the one church. And people believe them because it's easy. It's easy to believe that you just have to do a good deed here and there, pray over your food occasionally before you eat, and be the nicest person you could possibly be and make it into the kingdom of God. Remember in our main scripture of the night, Matthew 7 and 14, it states that there will be few that will find it. Why is that? Simply because it is not easy the one church is built on structure and order. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. Somebody read that for me, please. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, 
but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For, for it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are continuous among you, contentions among you. You said you're 13, right? Now this I say, that every one of you said, I am Paul, and I am of, I, of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? God called us all to speak the same thing. Amen. Speak where the Bible speaks and beside the word silent, correct? Amen. So if that's true, why are all of these other denominations making stuff up? That's what they're doing at the end of the day, they're just making stuff up. That's right. If they didn't read it. That's right. If something's not written before time and it's written now, it was made up. That's right. And why are they making this stuff up? Because that is all they are doing. They make worshiping God convenient and exciting, quote-unquote. When that isn't supposed to be the, even, it's not supposed to matter. Even down to the names they try too hard. I saw a congregation that's driving uh, through Decatur. It's called St. Elias Antiochian Orthodox Church in oh. Decatur. Now, I'm not completely sure, but I'm pretty sure 95% of the population in that church doesn't know what Antiochian means. <laughs> they can't. The word isn't even in the Bible, so we know that, it, that this is just some made-up title people gave themselves. The difference between us and every other denomination is that our title was established by Jesus himself. Amen. Matthew 16, 18, through, and 19. Somebody read that for me. Matthew 16, 18, and 19. Matthew 16, 18, and 19. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gate of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosened in heaven. He states that he is giving Peter the keys to the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is guarded by the straight gate. And the gate is locked. The only way that we are able to gain access to the kingdom is through the straight gate. But we need the key that was given to Peter. But what is this key? And how do we acquire it? We gain access to the key through his church. The only church that we can read about in the Bible that's undeniable. The Church of Christ and living how we would how he would want us to live, by book, chapter, and verse. Yeah. And the key is given to us, or to those who can make it on this straight and narrow path. Yeah. And that's all I have.